0: To be the little Pentecostal church on the other side of the tracks, but no longer because we are moving on up to the east side. <laughs> we used to be afraid of undignified wildfire, but now we long for the supernatural and the miraculous. At one time, we had no influence in our town and community. But now we have a strong voice and presence that is closely followed both locally and on a national level. They told us, um, uh, Spencer and my husband were talking about our podcast, and you'll have to forgive me because I don't remember the exact numbers, but I believe we have somewhere in the vicinity of 150 messages that are on our podcast. And we have had over 12,000 downloads of those messages. That is incredible. And it shows you the reach of CLC. The culture change is simply this. We are unashamedly apostolic. And we are turning our society and our city and our surrounding areas upside down for the kingdom of God. We must always remember that while we have experienced a culture change and while our methods of reaching our world with the gospel have evolved, our message must never change. Regardless of pressures to conform to society, no matter how radical our message may seem in view of accepted norms in our culture— Even if messages of sin are one day defined as hate speech and taking a stand for right is threatened by legal action, we must remain an apostolic church whose teachings are based on biblical principles of modesty, moderation, and separation from the world. Our society today is one that embraces tolerance. We are told that the right thing to do is to tolerate others and their differences. We are made to feel that any conviction towards another's actions, behaviors, or the lifestyles that they may choose to lead, and speaking out against it is in fact prejudiced. Our society feels so strongly about tolerance that there is no tolerance for the so-called intolerant. When the subject of tolerance is approached, it is most usually in reference to religion. Great men in history spoke often of religious tolerance. John F. Kennedy said, tolerance implies no lack of commitment to one's own beliefs, rather it condemns the oppression or persecution of others who believe differently. Gandhi once said, the various religions are like different roads converging on the same point. What difference does it make if we follow different routes, providing that we arrive at the same destination? It seems that when the church, not in an ecumenical sense, that encompasses all religious beliefs But the church, whose foundation is the Word of God in its entirety, speaks up against sin or takes a stand for holiness or setting parameters that separate us from the world. And when I mean the world, I am talking about those who do not adhere to biblical teachings of separation and biblically-based lifestyles. We are often labeled as judgmental, bigots, closed-minded, too strict, Intolerant of difference, against progress, old-fashioned, out of touch with society, cultish, and God forbid we instruct our children of biblically founded differences in right and wrong, or impose, as many would say, this lifestyle style on them, passing, passing their so-called intolerance to the next generation. And so for fear of repercussion, we tend to stay silent because if we do not, we stand to suffer great backlash from those who differ from us. It is okay for others to trumpet their support of same-sex marriage, but if we speak of God's plan for one man and one woman, we are considered exclusivist and against human rights. Pro abortionists are permitted to scream the loudest about women's choice, but if we call abortion for what it is murder, we are chauvinist and believe that women do not have rights. Sex is sold on every magazine cover, taught as curriculum in our schools, portrayed as the norm for teens and young adults, and if they are not doing it, Well, they are made to believe that they are not normal. But if we call sex outside of a marriage relationship for what it is, fornication, lust, adultery, sin, we are not gracious and merciful because, after all, the general consensus to justify such actions is, well, after all, we are all human and we all mess up. What is even more unimaginable to me is when the pressure to be silent, the cry for tolerance of sin comes from within the church. So we are silenced out of fear. Societal pressures still the cry of the church against sin. Biblical mandates are voiceless without an advocate. The godly mentor becomes mute. And a deafening soundlessness replaces the boldness of our apostolic foundation. We have reached a point in time for the church in general, the church, this local assembly, as mothers, as mentors, as women of God and vessels of the Holy Ghost to set parameters and stop tolerating sin. The term tolerant may gain you favor for a season. It may earn you the titles of open-minded and accepting. But when it comes to tolerating things that are sin, tolerance will keep you, your children, and those who follow you from making it to heaven. The definition of tolerance is this, the ability or willingness to tolerate something In particular, the existence of opinions or behaviors that one does not necessarily agree with. It is one thing to show grace and mercy and kindness and love, and I believe in all of those things. And I hope that my life is a witness to those things. But it is a complete different thing to tolerate when we know that the Bible specifically states that some things are just sin they are what they are. The Bible plainly instructs us to love the things that he loves and to hate the things that he hates. The Lord loves people. He loves everybody. He died for them. He has made a way of escape for every one of us, giving everyone a route out of sin. Salvation is for everyone. And as the church, we are to love everyone regardless of where they are coming from or what life that they may be participating in. But the Lord hates sin. There is a difference in loving people and hating sin. You can love a person and not agree with the life or the sin that is in their life. And it is okay to speak up and to warn them Brother Brandon spoke about being a gatekeeper, and he probably was not even here uh, several years ago when I spoke about the gatekeepers and the watchmen, about speaking out when we see that someone is heading in a in a direction that is detrimental to their lives and to their eternity. He hates lying, he hates murderous acts, whether in deed or in words. He hates those who cause confusion and disunity. In fact, he warns us against them in the book of Romans. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. He hates a haughty and a prideful spirit. He will not tolerate false teaching. Second John, uh, the, uh, verses 10 and 11, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, don't even receive them into your house or give them greeting. The Lord hates wickedness, Psalms 5 and 4, for thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Ladies, we can't get so caught up in what we are doing as a church. We can't get caught up in events. We can't get caught up in the fact that we're building a building. We can't get caught up in fellowship. We can't get caught up in organized ministries that we begin to tolerate sin in an attempt to be relevant to our society. We don't have a lot of time left. Jesus is coming back for his church, and we cannot allow things to creep in that would keep us from making heaven or sent silently by as our families and our friends choose paths that will lead to their damnation because we want to appear more loving and more tolerant. We have to speak up. The enemy knows that the way to destroy the church is not from without, because how many of you know that when the church has been attacked from without, what it does is it causes us to bind together and to become stronger. The enemy knows that about us. For me, it's like, okay, you want to come at me? It's on like Donkey Kong. You out of here. But the way that he knows that he can to destroy the church is from within, If he can get sin creeped into the church, if he can get tolerance for sin creeped into the church, he knows that he can destroy, and his goal is to destroy the church before the Lord takes his church home. In the book of Revelation, the second chapter, John records letters to seven churches that each had their own set of issues. There were good qualities that the Lord recognized, yet there were qualities that required repentance and a change of ways, or they would not be a part of the bride of the 22nd chapter. The first was the letter to the church of Ephesus. The Lord recognized their works for his namesake, their labor and how they had not fainted, their patience, their intolerance for evil. And their discerning of spirits of false prophets. But they had left their first love and had lost sight of where they had come from, that they were once sinners saved by the grace of God. The second letter was to the church in Smyrna. This church was in the center of cultish worship. They were surrounded by idolaters and were persecuted and endured great tribulation. They were living in a time where people claimed to be Christians, so to speak, but rejected the deity of Christ. The Lord instructed them to remain faithful, to not succumb to society's pressures and persecution, and that if found faithful, they would be rewarded with the crown of life. The third church was the church in Pergamos. This was a church in a region that worshiped the gods of the Greek culture, yet they held fast to the name that was above all names. But within the church, they entertained doctrines of Balaam and doctrines of the Nicolaitans, which brought false teachings and convinced followers to practice rituals that were concurrent with idolaters. The Lord tells them to repent or he would come against them and he would fight them and he would pass judgment on them. The church in Sardis, this church had the fullness of the Holy Spirit working among them. But the city of Sardis had been captured twice because its guards failed to detect enemy soldiers who had snuck in within the gates of the city. The church was at risk of falling prey to the same generational attack for a lack of watchfulness. The Lord warned that if they were not watching and on guard, he would come like a thief in the night, and they would be left behind. The church in Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, this church was promised spiritual protection and spiritual direction. They held the key of David, which was a metaphor for spiritual authority. They knew that the authority lay in the name of Jesus and would not deny the name. He promised them a way of escape and temptation and admonished them to hold fast that no man could take their crown. And then there was the church of Laodicea. While they had good works, they were neither hot hot nor cold, but indifferent and lukewarm. And because of their indifference, they were disgusting to the Lord. And he said that because of their lukewarmness, he would spew them out of his mouth. They believed that they were full of all of the blessings that they could have and were in need of nothing, according to the scripture. You see, Laodicea was known for great financial wealth and great medical advances of their day, and they had their their health and their strength as a result. But they mistook their financial wealth and their physical health for God's approval of their works. But they did not know, according to the scripture, that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, The Lord said, I would rather have one tried in the fire that may come out a little marred and smelling a little bit like smoke from the fire than one that has many riches. He would rather a refined garment that was pure and white as snow than that their nakedness and their shame would be exposed. And he instructed them to love his rebuking and his chastisement and to be zealous to accept it and repent for their belief that they needed nothing from the Lord. And then lastly, there was the church of Thyatira. The Lord mentioned their charity, their giving to those in need. He mentioned their service in the kingdom. He talks about their faith, faith that could raise the dead. He refers to patience, and twice he mentions their works. They must have been outstanding in their giving of their time and of their talent. See, Thyatira was a small city. In fact, the church was located in the smallest city of any of the other church mentioned in the second chapter of Revelation. They were located in a fertile valley in the middle of fields where crops flourished and grew. Thyatira was home to Lydia, noted in Scripture, to be a woman of worship to God, indicating that the church in Thyatira was a worshiping church. The main criticism of the angel of Thyatira is that the church had tolerated something and someone that should not have been thol- should not have been tolerated they had tolerated the spirit of Jezebel a generational spirit that surfaced in old testament days it is debated whether or not the Jezebel of this portion of scripture was an actual individual But this much we know, it was a spirit that worked through individuals for one express purpose, to stop the prophet of God from bringing the word of God to the people of God. Her schemes are flattery, seduction, lying, denial of personal wrongs, manipulation, confusion, criticism of the church and the prophet of God. Self-inflated spiritualism, justification of her actions, domineering, demands attention. She's vengeful. She is full of witchcraft, rebellion. She threatens to take the very life of the prophet through her influence with armies. She gains power and influence by identifying herself as a prophetess ultimate goal of a Jezebel spirit is ultimate authority. Jezebel urged sexual immorality in the Old Testament and in this New Testament scripture and the consuming of food that had been offered to idols. These are actions that were strictly forbidden by the word of God and by the church. The Lord in verse 21 says that he had given her a space to repent yet she repented not. And because of her refusal to repent, the Lord will cast her into a bed of sickness and death. The generations that she produces, her seed, will be taken out with death as well. And anyone who tolerates her and follows her will be cast into the same bed with her. "...while the church of Thyatira was not judged by the Lord for the same crimes of Jezebel, they were charged with excessive tolerance of her and her followers." But to he that overcometh, the scripture goes on to say, that stops tolerating sin from within the church and without the church and keeps the Lord's works to the very end. To them the Lord said, will I give power over the nations? And to them shall be given dominion and power and authority and the morning star, which is Jesus Christ himself. It is time for the church for us ladies to draw some lines in the sand and to say, it is one thing for us to extend grace, and it is one thing for us to extend mercy, and it is one thing to deal in love, but it's a whole different ball game when it comes to tolerating sin. As for a mother of this church, and as a mother of three boys, I will tell each of you what I have told my boys all of their lives. If you think for one second, I am going to stand stand idly by and watch the church and different individuals in this church self-destruct, you're out of your mind. You're not going to do it without a fight from me. It is time that we stand up. We can no longer be silent. We can't be forced to be silent because they want to call us intolerant or they want to say, well, you need to let up and you need to back off. You're making life too hard. No, I'm trying to make sure that we make it to heaven. I don't want to stand before the Lord and have to answer, why were you silent? Why didn't you speak up? Why did you tolerate those things? What is my excuse going to be? Um, because I was afraid? Because I got called names? Because they didn't like me if I said something? I-, I can't stand before the Lord and give an answer for my actions of why I have been silent. And it is unapostolic. Be silent, and it's unapostolic to not be bold and to say, This is what thus saith the Lord, this is the plan of salvation, this is the way that you ought to choose to live. Not because it's rules and regulations. If I've heard once, I bet I have heard thousands of times well the church is just full of all of these rules and you've got all of these rules that you have to follow and it's this this and this and I just don't think that I can live it that way but if we would ever understand that it's not about rules it's about parameters it's about keeping us safe Keeping us full of the Holy Ghost, keeping us in the center of God's will, knowing that if we are there, then the church is bold and the church is promised authority and the church is promised authority in the spirit and the church is promised the miraculous and the church is promised the protection of God and the hand of God and the anointing of God. I don't want to come to a church that because we tolerate and we're silent, that we lose Spirit of God in our services. Most of the time, I can't wait to get to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays because I don't know what's going to happen. I can't wait to see what happens. Here uh, was it two weeks ago when the Spirit of God just rushed into the place, and it was like, oh my word, it's almost tangible. I started to look around thinking, okay, Lord, I'm going to see the glory cloud again. The Shekinah glory was so strong. I believe that is because a church that is in the center of the will of God. But if we ever remove ourselves and we ever stop speaking up and we ever stop or we ever start to dumb down what thus saith the word of God, he will remove his favor. He will remove his presence and we will lose power that we desire to have. I want the power of God. I know that this is probably not what you expected. That's okay. I'm full of surprises. But I know that I heard from the Lord because I fear that we are living in a time that we are pressured to be more accepting and more tolerant. And if we do and we succumb to those things, we're going to miss out on what God has in store for this church As I read through these scriptures and I looked at these different churches that were represented, I could see our society. I could see where we were at as a church in in a multiplicity of these different churches that were represented. I had seen us in certain times uh, within the, the time frame of the last 13 and a half years. And while that I looked at that, I was reminded that while we cannot get distracted, I was reminded of a vision that the Lord had given me several years ago that we were at the campus and there was an opening in the sky and the Shekinah glory looked like rain that was raining down on that campus. And you know what? That campus was unfinished. And it looked just like it looks right now. It wasn't a brand new building. It wasn't a oh, come see what we have built. But it looked just like it looked right now. And there were hundreds of women. I didn't see men. And that's not nothing against the men. But I think, sorry, they're going to make it to heaven. Sorry, fellas, if, if you want to. But I believe that it was representative of our women's ministry. Recently, we did our database, and we've got a new database that's going to be presented. In women's ministry, we have 106. That's a church within a church. That's incredible. And I think that the Lord was opening my eyes to see that even through a building program, when things aren't exactly the way that they can be or that they we want them to be or what the vision, you know, maybe it hasn't come to fulfillment yet. But there were hundreds of women that were coming in and they were being baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost and they were going out and they were gathering others and they were coming in and it was a constant movement and a constant revival atmosphere that was happening. You will not find a revival atmosphere in a tolerant church that is tolerant of sin. God will remove his presence. Uh, My husband preached a message uh, it's been several weeks ago uh, or several months ago actually but he preached it up in Illinois about um, tell Jethro goodbye. I can't remember the uh, the What was it? About Jethro. I can't even remember. Anyway, but in other words, it was talking about Moses' father-in-law who brought in ideas from Egypt and said, if you'll implement these ideas, if you will tolerate this, if you will do this, and you'll divide the people, and you'll let other people judge the people of Israel instead of doing what God has told you to do, it's going to make your life a lot easier. And so he did it. And when he did in the scripture, you will find that there was never smoke in the mountains. There was never fire in the mountains. There was never earthquakes. There was never the voice of God that was speaking. And Moses stopped climbing Mount Sinai. But the scripture says, I believe in the 18th chapter, that as soon as he let Jethro go, and that is exactly what the scripture said, he let him go. That before the dust settled, he turned around and he climbed Mount Sinai. And guess what happened when he stopped tolerating the ideas of Egypt in the church? There was fire, there was smoke. There was lightning, there was earthquakes, and God began to speak again. I don't ever want us to get to the point to where we lose the fire and the voice of God speaking in this church, all because we become tolerant. I want to admonish you tonight that over the next few days, that you will take this word and that you will ingest it into your spirit and into your minds and into your hearts and if there is an area or there is something that you know that is an area that has been a source of tolerance for things that are not of God maybe it's things maybe it's actions maybe it's people that are speaking negativity to you about the church and to the man of God and let me warn you if that is you God will shut you up. I don't, want to have to, I don't want to have to be judged by the Lord for those purposes. But I challenge you that if you know that there is an area that has caused you to become more tolerant and to be silent against the things that you know are biblically right and biblically wrong, get them out. Get them out quickly. Because number one, God is coming back. And in this last day, he needs a church that is powerful and that is prayed up and that has spiritual authority and that is full of the Holy Ghost. And I want it to start in women's ministry. I want it to start with me. I want to know that when I hit my knees, that there is nothing in my life that I have allowed to creep in, or nothing that I have silently sat by and watched creep into the church that keeps the Lord from hearing my prayers, or keeps the Lord from speaking to me, or keeps the Lord from using me in the altar when when uh, souls come in that need the Holy Ghost. But I want to know that those things have been far removed, and that I am a vessel that God can use, and that God can work through me and these last days because there is a revival. It has already come, but we haven't even seen the tip of the iceberg of what God has in store. I fully believe that if the Lord so tarries, when we get into that new campus, before we ever even start that front building, before we ever have an opportunity to build an 800-seat auditorium, if God wills, before that ever happens, I believe that we are going to see such an influx of souls coming into the kingdom, waters of baptism being stirred, people being full of the Holy Ghost, the Lord drawing crowds because of the miraculous like he did in Bible days and it's going to come through a church who has removed all obstacles and has removed sin out of their midst and has focused on God I am going to be what you have me to be I'm going to be the woman that you want me to be I'm going to be the child of God that you want to be want me to be and I'm going to be a part of the church whose eyes are focused on the end goal and that end goal is to see heaven one day and not just to get there by ourselves and not just to get there with our children but to get there with hundreds of people that we have affected because we were bold enough to be an apostolic church if you want that kind of boldness why don't you stand to your feet right now and throw your hands in the air and commit to the Lord that that is what you want and that you're committed to be that oh God I pray right now Lord that your word would settle in our spirits God Lord that we would stop tolerating those things, God, that separate us from your presence, Lord. God, but that we would be the kind of women and the kind of church and the kind of individuals that you want us to be. And that is empty vessels, Lord, that has nothing that is weighing us down, God. But there are vessels that you can fill, God, and that you can use. Let us be your hands. Let us be your feet. Let us be your voice. Let us be, God, that example to those, Lord, that although we may say what is in their life might be sin, let us love them enough to show them the right way. Let us do all that we can, Lord, to lead them and to disciple them, God, so that you can fill them with the Holy Ghost, Lord, so that you can use them, God. Lord, right now I claim the revival that you have promised to this church, God, we will see it come to pass. Oh, God, I believe in you for souls. I believe in you, Lord, for a mighty revival, not just in the city, but in surrounding areas, God. Lord, in Lafayette, in Kokomo, in Lebanon, in Thorntown, God. Lord, not only in surrounding areas, God, but in this world, Lord, I pray that CLC would be a conduit, Lord, God, that you would use us, God, to propel the gospel around the world, God, because if we are in the center of your will, we will be kingdom minded. We will be about your business. We will lay our personal agendas aside. God, we will lay aside, Lord, those things that we desire in our hearts, Lord, but we'll seek after your kingdom first and you promised in your word Lord that if we will seek your kingdom first that everything that we need you will provide everything God that we have need of Lord you will supply it you said in your word God that your righteous have never been forsaken and they have never had to bake bread Lord those that are seeking to do right I pray Lord that in the heart of every woman in this place and under the sound of my voice is a Deep desire that grows in them, Lord, to be right before you, to do your will, God, Lord, to be used of you. If there are stumbling blocks, remove them out of the way, Lord. If there are desires, God, in their hearts that are not of you, I pray, Lord, that you would expose them, Lord. God, that you would move them, Lord, that you would surgically, God, look into the depths of our hearts, remove the things that are not of you God wash us Lord with your blood make us white as snow Lord so that the day that is quickly approaching when you come for your bride that we will hear you say well done thou good and faithful servant Lord I praise you for your word I praise you for your anointing I appraise you for the work that you've done Lord and I am claiming that this is eternal point of power and of authority and of the miraculous lucid in the name of jesus by the authority of the word of god from this point <speaking in Spanish> oh give him praise give him praise we worship you lord we worship you lord we worship you lord thank you jesus thank you jesus thank you lord for your presence.